Hey, I gotta tell you, I'm fired up for this new series. Anybody else? Like, I am really expecting for what God wants to do in our church. And as we start off today, here's how I wanna start. I wanna start off, though, praying for all of our teachers, school administrators, and anyone working in a local school, investing in the next generation. So if that's you across all of our campuses, don't be shy. I want you to stand to your feet right now. We wanna recognize you, we wanna celebrate you. Stand to your feet, stay standing, give them a huge round of applause, thank you. Stay standing, thank you. Both of my parents were teachers, and I have the utmost respect for those of you investing in the next generation. Stand up, we're gonna pray for you, keep standing. Um, We wanna pray God blesses you, all right? Father, I pray for every person investing their lives in the next generation in our schools. Some of them feel discouraged. Some of them wonder how you're moving through their life. And I pray in this very moment, you speak to them and tell them they are valued. You see them and you wanna use them this school year to impact people. Not only in the education side of things, but as an example of Jesus in a world that desperately needs him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's give him a hand one more time. Appreciate you guys. So it it was actually one year ago on this exact same weekend that we launched a series called The World Spins Madly On. And when I stepped on stage one year ago this weekend, here's how I led the message. I asked you this question. How many of you feel like the world around you has lost its mind and spinning out of control? Now here we are a year later. Does anybody feel like it's gotten better? No, it's, you know it's almost gotten worse. You, you can't even turn on the TV once without hearing story after story about how God is being stripped out of almost every aspect of our society. And by the way, the reason I think we need to pray for our schools is I think ground zero for Satan's attack is with our sk- kids and our schools. And we gotta pray for them, what's going on in our schools. But it's, it's everywhere, okay, it's everywhere. And it's happening right before our very eyes. So this weekend, we start volume two of The World Spins Badly On. And when I told my youngest daughter, it's volume two, she said this, bum, bum, bum. That was her words. I said, well, maybe it is. But what we're gonna do in this series, and I pray you're here every single week, is we're gonna learn how to not just survive, but to thrive in a world that is spinning madly out of control. Now, last year, we opened up 1 Kings and we studied the Old Testament prophet Elijah, who his world was spinning out of control. And this year, we're gonna study his successor, a man named Elisha. Now, people get these mixed up all the time, so it's Jah and Shah, Elijah and Elisha. And when Elisha takes over for Elijah, his world is spinning madly out of control, almost worse than it was during Elijah's day. Now, if you ask yourself, how are we going to learn anything today about how to, you know, stand strong or, you know, like thrive in this world? How are we going to learn from an Old Testament prophet that existed, you know, 3,000 years ago? I mean, how are we going to learn from them in our unprecedented times? The issue, if you think that, might be the word unprecedented. See, a lot of times we like to overuse that word. We're living in unprecedented times. You know how many times I heard that over the pandemic a few years ago? It's unprecedented. I'm like, no, it's not. Okay, we've had pandemics throughout world history, and almost all of them have been worse than this one. It's not unprecedented. 
And what we need to understand is when you open up scripture and you truly read it, what we realize is what was happening back then is almost the exact same thing that's happening today. It's just in a different context. Sexual immorality, they had it as well. Politics being crazy and leaders falling like mad all around them, that was happening to them too. Back then, they were worshiping cats as dogs. Did you know that in Egypt? They really were in t- around the time of Elisha, and not much has changed today. I mean, if you own a cat, you realize that your cat thinks it's a god, right? And wants to be worshiped. So I rest my case. Anyways, what happens in the life of Elisha is his world spinning out of control, and he's taking over for Elijah. And, and when he does, Elisha asks for something that, in my opinion, may be the boldest, most audacious, ambitious request of anyone in Scripture. And to tell you what he, he did and why it was so audacious, let me just set the context. He's taking over for Elijah, and Elijah is known as the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. I mean, in the New Testament, you know, Jesus and John the Baptist are kind of compared to Elijah. He brought down fire on the prophets of Baal. You remember that from last series? He was amazing. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he's one of the only ones that shows up with Jesus. When it comes to prophets, he's the goat. He is the greatest of all time. And Elisha's taking over for this guy, and he's taking over for a man that in the midst of a world spinning out of control would be the poster child of how to have God's hand of blessing and power and goodness in your life. And so when Elisha takes over for him, he has the audacity to ask for a double portion of God's spirit and blessing than God had given Elijah. Can you believe that? Let me show it to you. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9, it says, when they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taking from you? In other words, I'm getting ready to retire. You're going to take over. All this craziness is on you now. Can you, you want anything? You want like a pat on the back? You know, what, what do you want, a little encouragement? Elisha's like, actually, I do want something. Listen to the boldness. Let me inherit a, say it out loud, double portion. I want a double portion of your spirit. Now, there's some debate over what he's asking for, but let me tell you exactly what I think he's asking for. It's so simple. He's asking for a double portion of God's blessing an impact on his life than Elijah had. That is a crazy, bold request. And here's what's crazier. God granted it to him. Can I, can I give you a case in point? When you, when you count up the miracles of Elijah, they're almost exactly 14 miracles, depending on how you count them. Guess how many miracles God did through the life of Elijah? 28, you guessed right. A double portion. And here's the question I want to ask you as we start this series. And lean in. Do you believe that God could give you a double portion of his blessing and spirit in your life right now, no matter what's spinning out of control all around you? Do you believe it? Would you even ask for it? In your marriage, that seems like it's hopeless. Could God give you a double portion with your kids or your work or your resources or the mental health you struggle with? Could God's spirit 
pour out a double portion on you. Personally, I've wrestled with this question. And when I wrestle with it, here's sometimes what comes to my mind. God, how could you pour out a double portion on my life when our world is already twice as screwed up as I've ever seen it before? And I'm just telling you, when I asked that question of God, and I did, God whispered something so specifically into my mind, and here's what he said. Ashley, my blessings are not determined by your circumstances going on around you. My blessings are fully determined by my spirit's work within you. And I wanna personalize that for someone here today. I want you to hear this. God's blessings do not depend on the circumstances around you. I don't care how bad they are. God's blessings only depend on his spirit working within you. Here's what we know. The darker things get around us, the brighter God's light can shine through us. Amen? Like, do you, do you believe that? That's not pie-in-the-sky theology, by the way. The darker things get, the more God can move through us. And I want to give you an example. Because you're, you're, a, you're either a part of this church, CCV, or you're checking things out, and you're wondering, what kind of church is this, and do I even want to be a part of this? Well, let me just tell you about our church for a moment. We are a church, our laser vision is to reach this entire valley for Jesus. And it is a big, bold vision. And we are praying for God's revival and spirit to be poured out all the time. But how can he do it when this world is so dark around us? Let me just give you a peek into what God's been doing the last few years. And we try to keep you updated on this all the time. But let me just show you a chart of baptisms at CCV, people giving their lives to Jesus over the past four years. I want you to see this, 2020, 2021, 22, and then this year. Last year was the largest number of baptisms of people giving their lives to Jesus we have ever seen in our history, 4,431 people. And every one of them has a story. You'd say, well, this year's not as big as last year. <laughs> We're barely halfway through the year. And we're already seeing, by the way, you can clap for this. We're already seeing this year a 25% increase than what we saw last year, which we thought was unprecedented. And we don't know if this is gonna happen, okay? Only God controls this. We don't control this. God opens people's hearts. We preach the gospel. We preach Jesus. And we don't control whether people say yes or not. But we believe, based on the trend we're seeing right now, that we could see over 5,000 baptisms in the life of our church by the end of this year, and we need to praise God for what he's doing around us. Do, do you understand when you see that, that's a double portion from what we saw in 2020? It's over a double portion, which means God's blessings don't depend on our circumstances. They depend on him pouring out his spirit, and he is not limited by what's going on in the world. So let me ask again, do you believe that God could pour out a double portion of his blessing on your life and would you be bold enough to ask for it? And if you say yes, here's the next question I think you, could, you should ask, because this is the question I would ask, is you'd say, how would I do that? Like, how would I ask for that? And maybe more importantly, how would I even posture my life to be able to receive it? 
Because God isn't limited by his pouring out. He's often limited by our posture, if we're even posturing our lives to receive his blessing. And by the way, if you wanna know how to posture your life, that's what Elisha teaches us. We're gonna see it throughout this series, but today, I just wanna show you two principles from the life of Elisha on how you can posture your life to receive a double portion of blessing from God. Let's dive straight in today, week one. We're gonna pick up in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. This is the call of Elisha. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. So Elijah went from there. Where, where's Elijah coming from? He's just got done recently calling down fire on the prophets of Baal, a massive victory. You remember that from last year, hopefully, if you were there. Uh, he actually went into the desert after that and got depressed. He struggled with his mental health. He really did. And, and the reason why is because he thought he was all alone. He's like, God, I'm the, I'm the only follower of God around here. And God's like, wake up. There's people all around you. And in fact, I'm gonna send you to someone, Elisha. So it says, and, and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat, and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the fifth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. This was a symbolic act of him passing the mantle to Elisha. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Remember that term. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. I mean, what have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Today's message is titled, It's Time to Burn the Plows. And if you want God's blessing in your life, I'm just gonna give you a heads up up front. Some of you have some plows to burn. Now, the first thing we, we, we notice about Elisha's life is this. There is no indication anywhere of anything we know about Elisha that he was a special person, that he was brilliant, that he was gifted, that God had supernaturally done something in his life up to this point. In fact, the only thing we know about Elisha up to this point is two things. He's the son of Shaphat, and he plows oxen. Now, Shaphat's a nobody. We know nothing about him. He's a nobody, and plowing oxen, I mean, could you imagine the monotony of his day? Like, just, just look at a picture of someone like plowing oxen. This is your view all day long, okay? You're staring at the backside of an animal about the size of a Ford F-150, and he just stinks all day long, right? I mean, that's your nostrils, shooting up your nostrils all day long. And what are you doing? Every single day, you're just plowing. Plowing, plowing, planting, plowing some more, I mean, the monotony would just drive you nuts. And I say that because that's how some of you feel about your life. You'd say it's just so monotonous. It's so like not anything big going on. In fact, some of you are like, man, it feels like I stare at a butt of monotony all day long, you know? And by the way, if you're, if you're a, a mom of like really, really young kids, that's kind of descriptive of your life, Right? I mean, it's like every single day, the monotony. You get up, dirty diaper, open the dirty diaper, stare at a dirty butt, wipe the dirty butt, right? Clean the dirty butt, put it back on, clean up the house, get people to stop crying. And then just when you have a moment of peace, start the rhythm all over again, right? 
That's your life. And you, you just wonder to yourself, like, there's nothing big going on. Now, you not be, may not be a mom or a single dad, but that may be how you feel at work, right? I mean, you wouldn't call your boss a butt, but maybe he is. I don't know. You know, but you just, it's monotony. It's like the same sales quota. It's the same thing, the same thing over and over again. And you start to think to yourself, my life is so average, monotonous, and I'm so unqualified. How would God ever bless my life, the way I read about in Scripture? And if you've begun to think that way, I want to wake you up. I want to get up in your grill because you haven't read Scripture enough to know how God moves. It is so clear when you read through Scripture in almost every single example that God takes average, ordinary, underqualified people, and that's who he uses best. Don't you ever doubt how God wants to use your life and bless it. I mean, I could go example after example. David in the Old Testament, he's a shepherd boy, which is like the lowest of low, okay? And when Samuel shows up at his house to, and says to David's dad, hey, God's chosen one of your sons to choose to be king. I don't know who it is. Do you know David's dad never even called him in? Like, it took, it took Samuel, like, in convincing him to call him in. David's dad thought he was the most unqualified of all of his sons. And that's who God called to be King David, a man after God's own heart that led the nation. Peter, in the New Testament, when Jesus calls him, he's a fisherman, one of the lowest of low jobs you could ever imagine. And that's who Jesus called when the church is started after Jesus' resurrection, that's who Jesus called to lead the church. You know when you read scripture, how the people are described that Jesus chose to change the world? Here's how it's described in Acts. They were unschooled, ordinary men. And don't you ever think your unschooled, ordinary life is beyond God pouring a double portion of his blessing of how he wants to use you. Don't you ever think that. In fact, the first principle I think we learn from Elisha's life is this. God's blessings have little to do with our ability and everything to do with our obedience. Why did God pour out his spirit so much on Elisha? Because the first thing we see out of Elisha is a radical obedience. I mean, look, look at verse 20. It says, when, when he was called, Elisha left his oxen immediately and he ran after Elijah. Now think about this. He doesn't have any details. He doesn't have any of the like job description. He doesn't know what God's gonna do. He just knew he was being called by God and he ran. He didn't ask questions. He didn't get all the how. He didn't say, hey, Elijah, can I get a five-year plan on this uh, before I can uh, like, de determine if I should do it or not? He just obeyed. And I think that's the kind of radical obedience that God is looking for, which means this. This is a big idea for someone. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. I say that again. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. <laughs> Think about the examples in Scripture there's so many of them. I mean, when, when God called Abraham to move to a, a new country, he had no idea where he's going, no idea what it looked like, no idea what was gonna happen. God just said, go. 
Peter, when Jesus called him to step out of the boat and walk on water to him, you, know, you realize like Peter didn't like call a timeout and go, um, Jesus, I would like to understand how you're gonna molecularly change the, 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 like this water so I can step on it and it be solid. Can you explain that first? He just stepped out of the boat based on one word from Jesus, come. When God calls you to something and wants to use your life, my experience is he is often strategically ambiguous. He doesn't give you all the details. He doesn't give you all the whys. That's what we want, but I think sometimes God does that because if he gave you every detail, do you know you'd be so freaked out with your own inadequacy, you'd say no. So he calls you to just say yes. Some of us are stuck. We're missing God's blessing because we won't move in obedience until we have every detail and we fully understand. And I've seen this so many times in my own life. So many times. I mean, I'll give you a few examples. When, when, when God called me to leave the business world, I was working at the Intel Corporation at the time to go spend the rest of my life in the local church and it was a distinct call, like I knew it. I knew I was to be obedient. I, I didn't move at the beginning because I, I, I asked God for every single detail first. It's like I have a little bit of an analytical mind. I was like, God, if you can put it in a spreadsheet and the ones and zeros add up at the, at the bottom, like I'll go. And that's not how God works. He was calling me to just go and I'm so glad I stepped out in faith without knowing. And by the way, if I think if I knew every detail of what God was gonna do, I might not have gone. In fact, when, when God called me to be the senior pastor of our church, I, I couldn't even begin to describe the number of excuses I began giving God. And the reason why is because I was radically unqualified. In fact, I'm still unqualified. I promise you that. And if that bothers you, I don't know what to say to you other than God doesn't call the qualified. He calls the willing who are obedient when he calls and then he qualifies them. That's, that's the life we see with Elisha. And God is specializes in taking ordinary people and doing the extraordinary when they will just be obedient to what he's calling them to. So what's God calling you to that you keep wavering in because either one, you feel unqualified, or two, you want all the details until you'll move? What is it? Like Peter, God may only give you one word. You know, God told Peter, just come, that's it. He may give you one word. Some of you are struggling in a marriage and wondering what you should do, and your one word is stay. I was in the gym this week working out, thinking about this message, and the Justin Bieber song came on where he talks about stay, you know? Didn't think you'd hear Justin Bieber in church? Well, you just did, you know? So it's like, um, if you've ever heard this song, it's, it, it's a little gut-wrenching because he's, he's calling out, he's writing it to his spouse and just saying, I'm, I'm so inadequate, and I just need you to stay. And someone's spouse here today is just asking you, and God's asking you, one word, stay. Some of you have a health issue, and it's bad. And your one word is trust. Some of you want a relationship so bad with someone, you're single, 
You're about ready to compromise your values to do, do something, and God's one word for you is this, wait. Some of you have held off giving your life to Jesus and being baptized, and God's one word for you is now. Not tomorrow, you're not guaranteed tomorrow, but now. I don't know what word God wants to speak to you, but oftentimes, he doesn't give you all the details, he just asks you to move in obedience. And one area I know God wants us to move in obedience that for many of us today is in the area of serving because we're called by God, every single one of us, to use our life to serve somewhere in the church and around our city, we are. And some of us, we, we have all the excuses because we're anxious or we're too busy or we're inadequate and God wanna, wants us to burn the plows with our excuses and our inadequacy, much like Taylor from our Peoria campus. Watch his story. For me, the first couple churches that we went to, which weren't in Arizona, they were in Washington where we were at, those churches were phenomenal churches, but for us, they were just places that we both kind of sat on the sidelines. And my wife grew up, she was in the church, she was serving in the church, I was not, obviously. And so, to me, stepping out of my comfort zone and trying to lead people was totally new. Yeah, the big things that gave me pause through the whole journey was just that I did not feel equipped. I did not feel like I knew how to lead students because I was not led in this way. I didn't know what to say when a student came to me with a tough question. I didn't know a lot of things. But what I really felt was that God was really pushing me, especially through my own time in the Word, of just saying, like, He will equip me. And that was the most powerful thing to me, was walking in and saying, Lord, your plan is better than mine. Yeah, so we just finished up with high school service, with the sermon, the worship. Now all the students break out right after worship uh, and go to, go to their small groups all over the campus. Like, this is the time where we start to build relationships with them. It's when we start to just have fun. We get to talk with them. We get to really understand where they're at and just start to, like, start a conversation because without relationship, this is really hard. So how many of you guys feel like somebody could need you someday at any point? How many feel like you guys need someone? I didn't grow up in a household that went to church, so it wasn't really until I got to college where I actually met some people who knew Jesus that were kind enough just to share with me this guy that actually cares about me, cares to love me, and um, that was for me kind of the big thing is like, once I started diving into faith is I found there were so many people that just cared about me, my story, who I was. Oh, nice ball. Oh, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Yes, sir. What I learned the most serving in high school was that I'm way more in God's plan than I am in my own because I think there's a ton of things that I'm anxious of or not fully equipped to do in my own brain. But when I lean into God and say, the best thing I can do to these students is just point them to Jesus and walk my walk with them, that's when I realized it's God's doing the equipping. I didn't have to be fully equipped coming in. I didn't have to be fully ready. 
I didn't have to be fully comfortable, but it was my leaning into God and saying, this is your plan for me. He's the one that equipped me to do it. Hey, thank, thank you, Taylor, and thank you to everyone that stepped up to serve. I don't know many people that step up to serve that don't feel inadequate when they do it. And I love what Taylor said. He said, I didn't have to be fully equipped, fully ready, or fully comfortable to be obedient. So point one we see from Elisha's life is God's blessings have little to do with your ability and everything to do with your obedience. We have to focus on obedience. The second principle we see from the life of Elisha is God's blessings require you burn the plows to whatever's hitching you to your old life. It's time to burn the plows for someone here today. Let's, let's read this again from Elisha's life. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my mother and father goodbye, he said, and, and then I'll come with you. He's not wavering, by the way, in his commitment here. What he's basically saying to Elijah is, I need to go back and tell my mom and dad. I, I need to explain to them the seriousness of the commitment I'm making Maybe, maybe Elisha's mom and dad had dreams for his life that didn't align with God's dreams, and he needed to let down his parents so he, so he could follow Jesus, follow God. And I, I don't know um, what happened, but he, he, he made the commitment to go back and tell them, and he does, and, and so Elijah says to him, go back, I'm like, what have I done to you? In other words, I'm not here to coerce you or, or make it you know, like you're, you're feeling like you're coerced in some way. You just make the decision for yourself. Are you all in or not? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then they set out to follow Elijah and he became his servant. Let me, let me point out a few things. While, we, while we, there's nothing to indicate that Elisha was special in any way, what we do know from the story is he was likely really wealthy, his family was. In that day and age, to own one ox made you wealthy. But to own 12 sets or 24 total made you extremely wealthy. And Elisha may have been in line to take over the family inheritance. He may have already had some of it or all of it now. But I think what Elisha knew is he knew God's calling me to something and I have to light fire and burn the plows with anything that might hitch me to my old life and cause me to go back. What Elisha's saying is I'm gonna leave no plan B. There's only a plan A. And I think this is a, it, it's such a radical act of commitment to not just burn the, the cows, but to burn the plows. There's no option to go back. So he burns the plows, and he takes the plows, and he takes the wood, and he lights all these oxen on fire, and he feeds the entire town. I mean, he basically had like a CCV barbecue weekend in his town. That's kind of what we do around here sometimes. We have a bar big barbecue. He had a big barbecue. And what he did to everyone around him is he told them, there's no going back for me. He publicly declared his faith, which is kind of like baptism. When you go underneath the water and you come up, you're like publicly declaring, there's no going back for me. These oxen in Elisha's life represent anything that might pull him away from God's plan. And I wonder what God's calling you to burn the plows with in your life so that you can follow God's call and not turn back. You know, in my, in my own life, uh, I was thinking about this this past week. And when I was in high school, I, I was dating a girl that I knew, I knew in my heart wasn't right for me, but I wouldn't break it off. And the reason why is very simply, I, I, I did not trust that God could bring someone else on the other side if I broke off this relationship. 
Basically, I, I, I didn't trust God. I wasn't obedient. But one day, that relationship, it kind of burned to the ground. I wish I was the one that lit the match. I didn't. But, but when that thing ended, I made a decision, and it was distinct. I said this, I will never, ever go back. Never. That one burn the plow moment is what God used to free me up, to direct me to a small Bible college in California where I knew no one. I'm not sure I would have ever gone there without this burn the plow moment. And when I went to this Bible college, a year later, who did I meet? My wife, Jamie. Now listen. It's incredibly emotional for me to think what hung in the balance, burning the plows. Because God did not give me a double portion in Jamie. He gave me a quadruple portion. I'm telling you. But it hung in the balance with me burning the plows. Where do you need to burn the plows? Listen, nobody said burning plows is easy. In fact, obedience is often very, very hard. Very hard. It goes against the grain of what even people around you might tell you that aren't followers of Jesus. But you want a double portion of God's spirit in your life and blessing, it will require that you burn the plows. And I, and I think all of us have something, like a plow that we've been holding onto that we won't release, that God's just waiting to pour out his spirit when we release it and burn it. And so I'm gonna pry in your life. You okay with that? I got the microphone, so you have to be, okay? So I'm gonna pry a little bit. Some of you may need to burn the plow with just sports in your life. There's some of you men that, or even women, that, you know, the NFL starts or a game goes on TV and it's a big game for you and you miss worship for a sport. And it's pathetic. I'm just gonna call it out. You're basically telling God, this sports team is more important than you. Burn the plows. You may have a child in club sports and you miss worship all the time. Your family does. You don't prioritize it. And you, you tell yourself, it's for the good of my kids. I mean, God understands that, right? It's not always the good of your kids, by the way. It's you living vicariously through your kids. And it's time for you to sit down with your family and say, we are burning the plows. God will be first in our life and no one else. And God's gonna speak that to someone. Hey, it may be social media that you just need to burn the plows with getting off of it for a while or taking a break or just something because it just, it removes your peace and you won't stop. You just sit on there and compare yourself to everyone else around you. Let me talk to someone here today. You need to burn the plows with pornography. You've told yourself it's no big deal. The stats are in and it's conclusive. Pornography destroys your sex life and it destroys relationships. Period. I had one friend that got rid of his iPhone, went to a flip phone. You'd say, that's radical. Really? What's more radical, getting rid of your iPhone to have a flip phone or losing your marriage? I want to tell someone here today, if you don't stop plowing with pornography, it will tear up everything good around you. Just burn the plows, get some help, protect your device, ask for some accountability, go to counseling. Just burn the plows. 
Hey, for someone here today, your, your plow burning needs to happen with your finances. You're so consumed with consuming. And, and money is like your security blanket versus God. And you won't trust him with your finances. You, there's little generosity in your life. You tell yourself there is, but there's not. Just look at your checkbook. It's time to burn the plows and trust God. Hey, there might be someone here today that you need to burn the plows with, with living with someone before you're married. You're like, well, everyone's doing it and it makes financial sense. It's just crazy to me. Every statistic, every statistic, look it up for yourself, says if you cohabitate with someone before marriage, the divorce rate skyrockets. You're like, well, I'm not a statistic. It's stats. Why would you board a plane that has a greater chance of crashing? Burn the plows. Hey, some of you today, you need to burn the plows with giving your life to Jesus. Like you get all your excuses and it's just time to say, I'm gonna go all in. The area I'm gonna come back to though is, is, is the story we saw with Taylor. Some of you need to burn the plows with your inadequacy or anxiousness or excuse for not serving somewhere. And you just need to say, enough is enough, I'm in. You don't need all the details, you don't need to. You just say, yes, I'm gonna serve somewhere. And if, you, if that's you, you can simply text SERVE to 72020, SERVE to 72020, and if you'll do that, we'll send you a list of areas that you can serve. And you'd say, is there an area for me? You wouldn't believe how many areas there are to serve. There's an area for everyone. And by the way, serving isn't something you do, it's who you're called to be. In fact, when Elisha burned the plows, you know the first thing Elisha did after he burned the plows? Watch this, verse 21. He burned the plowing equipment. Very next line. He, then he set out to follow Elijah and became his, say it out loud, servant which means the first thing God calls you to when you burn the plows is not to lead, but to serve. You might say this, how am I gonna get a double portion of God's spirit if I'm pouring out into everyone else? That's the secret of serving. When you pour into others, God pours more into you. Ask anyone that serves, they'll tell you that's true. I don't know where God's calling you to burn the plows, but I know God's calling all of us to let go and light a match to anything that's holding us back from his call on our life. Because listen to this. God wants to pour a double portion in your life. He has all the ability to, and he's willing to. The only limiting factor is us. Are we posturing our lives to receive it? And Elisha teaches us, do you wanna receive a double portion? One, Stop focusing on your ability and focus fully on your obedience. And number two, burn the plows with anything hitching you to your old life. Amen? Let's pray together. God, I, I, I believe you're speaking to all of us today. And I pray that we would have the courage to not walk out and get in a car and drive home and go to life as usual but to walk out of here and make a burn the plow moment and share it with someone where we say, I'm making a change. As small as it may seem, God, you sometimes take the smallest decisions, a breakup. I'm not gonna let anything get in the way of worship or kids are gonna be in church every weekend. They're small decisions that you multiply into double portions of blessing in our life. And I pray you do pour out a double portion on us as we step forward in obedience. We love you, we praise you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Hey, next weekend, I'm gonna continue this series. It's a great time to invite a friend, and until then, let's go out and burn some plows. Have a great weekend, CCV.